0: Today, the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast is delighted to welcome KJ Charles to the show. Welcome KJ.
1: Hello and thank you for having me.
0: KJ is a prolific author of queer historical fiction and historical fantasy, primarily featuring male characters. But I invited her on today to talk about her recent book, Proper English, which features a female couple. Perhaps you could start by telling our listeners a bit about the story.
1: Right, well, Proper English is set in early Edwardian England, so that's about um, 1903 or so. So right at the golden age when the Victorians had done all the amazing technological innovation, Britain was on top of the world, everything was absolutely marvellous. No possibility of anything bad happening in, say, 11 years or so. Everything's great if you're English, if you're wise, if you're rich, etc. So um, it's, it's a fun period to do. And it's also a period that's covered a lot in pulp novels, um, adventures, John Buchan, um, you know, lots of stiff upper lip and daring do. All the early spy novels are starting, and it's um, just before Agatha Christie um, kicked in. But nevertheless, you already had a lovely range of um, detective stories, of country house stories, of country house murders, uh, and there is nothing I like more than a country house murder. So. I had these, I, I read a book called Think of England a few years ago, which is an MM romance set in an Edwardian country house, which had um, these two characters, Patricia Merton and Fenella Carruth, as secondary characters. And lots of people liked them. I liked them very much. So I thought I would write their origin story. And what, because Think of England was very much a sort of pulp spy thriller, I felt that um, Proper English needed to be a proper country house murder. So that is what I wrote. So we've got um, Pat Merton, who is a ladies' all England champion shot, goes up to her old friend's country house to meet his new fiance, who is this very attractive, very bubbly, apparently completely airheaded industrial heiress. Um, But unfortunately, the house is full of all sorts of other, the usual suspects of the country house, including (laughs) the dreadful person who deserves to be murdered. And we go from there.
0: Yeah, you you set it up very nicely with the classic, anybody could be the murderer, they've all got a good reason.
1: They all hate him. Everyone hates him. The most biggest comment I'm getting back is, why does it take so long for him to be killed and could we not see more of it? (laughs) (laughs) So... I was struggling a bit when I wrote it because I decided I wanted to write something light and frothy, but I also really felt like writing a murder. And you think, well, how can you make a murder feel good? And then you think, kill somebody every day. Yeah, <laughs> I'm make not sure frothy
0: is a word I'd use to describe it because the no. the the peril that leads to him being murdered is... Is is pretty dire for the characters involved.
1: It is pretty dire. Yes, I'm not actually very good at writing frothy. I think I've managed one frothy book in my entire career, <laughs> but I wanted to, I strove to, um, but failed. No, I, I, I yes, I think I think it's a I think it, it was it was a sort of line to tread between. On the one hand, you've got all this potential for the disaster, but on the other hand, these are these people living this ridiculously privileged life. Yes. Um. So it's 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 quite fun to balance out.
0: Yeah, it, it it fits very nicely into the the overall romance genre of of money porn. I think it's like let's give these characters <laughs> enough money and power to do whatever they like, and then we can watch them and not have to be too uh, too jealous because it's so separate hmm. from our lives.
1: Yeah, and um, I think it allows you to deal with all kinds of other because so many problems do come back to money. Um, yes, and you know we all face those every day. And it's, you know, it's a bit of a break from life to deal with problems that really can't be solved by throwing money at them. Yeah, so you take a rich person, give them a problem they can't buy their way out of, like a murder. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so I think it makes it enjoyable for the reader as well. I think you're right about that. I think we all enjoy the idea of, you know, the beautiful dress, the servant, the fact that you don't have to do the washing up. I, I,
0: I'm thinking of all the contemporary romance novels with, like, high-powered executives and movie stars and all that, and and, yeah, and then I mean, thinking those people don't necessarily actually really have time for romance, but whatever. No.
1: Well, that's, that's what I feel about high-powered executives. They always, like, take three weeks off and just go off to an island, and you think, I really, really don't think this is how high-powered executives... Also, you know, you open the newspaper, you can see what high-powered executives look like you know that's that's nobody's idea of
0: a romantic fantasy <laughs> i think mean, with with the uh you know the old fashioned aristocracy although your characters are not technically aristocracy they're just like you know money Henry. and birth uh but you can have that illusion that it could happen to anyone you know that you could have you know handsome uh personable people they didn't have to claw their way to the top of industry first and yeah exactly all those all those Young, handsome Regency dukes just running around unmarried, you know.
1: Yeah, no, I can't. I can't be having with dukes. I have to say, it's it's a step too far for me. Um, just because it's, I, I tend to be a bit obsessed with the power differential. There, and dukes are just too powerful. There's uh-huh. no. If you're doing a duke that is anything more than just using duke as shorthand for a really rich bloke, yeah. then the duke, the, the duke is too powerful. There's no. There's no peril. There's no actual threats, There's no. There's no real thing you can do with an actual, his, semi historically accurate duke. I mean, obviously they won't be completely historically <laughs> accurate anyway. But if 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 the word duke is to mean anything, it it it, it just unbalances things catastrophically.
0: Yeah, I I was in a conversation once about this where we sort of concluded that you know in modern Regency romance. You know, the Duke stands in for a particular modern type of character. You know, the the you know, wealthy, powerful. You know, the the Bill yeah. Gates type. Uh, well, okay, maybe not Bill yeah, Gates because right. he's not it's exactly pretty. But uh, where where it's actually got nothing to do with the historical class status. It, it's basically the billionaire romance, but with a title slapped yeah. onto it.
1: Exactly, and the problem is because you can you can absolutely get away with that. If you're looking at the minor the, the relatively minor aristocracy mm-hmm. um but when you're talking about dukes who are you know there's 27 of them across the yeah. Entire uh, yeah but also they're people who own like most of the country like even now the duke of westminster for example you know you look at his land holdings and he owns like a sizable percentage of the whole of britain you know we're not messing about here they still own the country this tiny number of people Um, A duke is one step down from the king. They're a hugely, hugely important um, sort of social status status thing. So both messing about with who they can marry, but also the idea that they had this completely carefree life where they didn't have to do anything. And where they can get away with personal lives that
0: wouldn't really survive scrutiny, you know?
1: Well, I mean, they could certainly, you know, shag around as much as they want um, and they could probably get away with marrying incredibly um, unsuitable people. You know, there are, mm-hmm. like, Lord Euston, the Earl of Euston, was the Duke's of somebody or other's eldest son. Earl of Grafton? Castle, I forget. Um, anyway, he was he was certainly a Duke's eldest son, and he did indeed marry a woman out of the hall. So it did happen. That was in the Victorian era, anyway. It went horrific wrong, as you might expect. But... Um, you know you, they could probably marry people that they wanted to because they were so powerful, but because they were so powerful, they really wouldn't have had to mm-hmm. so it, it just puts too much power <laughs> on one side It's the problem when you're trying to write a romance and make it work and make people believe in a happy ever after. I think you've got to end up with some kind of power balance
0: so that brings up uh, an interesting topic that I keep wanting to explore ideally with you know an entire panel full of historical writers mm. which is that the the legal and social context for men and women uh, for queer men and women in history was very different from each other so in writing you know both the the possibilities and the perils for queer men to you know to have a happier ever after romance as opposed to queer women that would be very different you know they would have yes. different types of hazards different types of opportunities and different types of potential outcomes how did you deal with that in you know deciding to write a female romance
1: well i mean it takes away a huge chunk of the sort of the obvious problem the peril the i don't greatly like writing male male romances where the big threat is we might get caught and you know execute yeah you know it's, and and a of romance. course, in, to take people
0: away. I was going to say, of course, in, in England, that was specifically a male hazard. that, that the significant <coughs> difference was that in the English legal system, female homosexuality was not even recognized, much less penalized.
1: Yes. yes, exactly. So there's just no issue, no issue at all. People saw women having quote marks lifelong, strong friendships and being terribly, terribly fond of one another. And probably knew exactly what was going on. You know, they've just made that film *Gentleman Jack* about.
0: Uh um, About um, Lister,
1: yeah. Very well known. And whereas, if you do male homosexuality, then there's a point at which it could lead to execution. Although, yeah, that stops in about 1836, 1837 or so. But then after that, you've got you know, punitive laws, and you've also got the fact that. a lot of juries didn't want to convict because the laws were so grossly unfair which is obviously a thing that happened Um, and you've got all this complicated legal structure and that's just taken away if you're writing FF you know the characters don't have that horrible thing hanging over them so from that perspective it was um, something of a relief but then on the other hand as you say it wasn't even recognised so instead of having a relationship that dare not speak its name and could open you up to punishment you've got a relationship that you know, the world literally doesn't believe could possibly exist or mean anything. And you know, you can't even be arrested for it. There's just, you know, it, it, it's just treated as, as a non-thing, which I think is differently awful.
0: Yeah, and, and in comparison to men's lives, the problem for women, even women from, you know, the, the upper classes, was that they had a lot less power to live independent lives.
1: Yes, of course. If you don't have an independent income, then you're in trouble. You're um, very likely not to inherit anything if your parents have money at all. Um, If you do marry up until distressingly late on, all of your property immediately becomes your husband's. Um, So you have these women who were just totally at the mercy of men, effectively. Um, And that is, you know, and certainly, you know, it would be very difficult for a young woman to for example, leave her father's home and go off with her, quote-unquote, very dear friend, um, you know, she, she goes off and goes off with a lover and, you know, whether they know it's a lover or not, if they just want her to come home, it is possible for the father to just go and bring her home, because even women in her early 20s, yeah. because women just have no power. So that's, you know, a constant theme of, of British history, really, isn't it?
0: And yet, and yet we have time after time examples of women who did succeed in doing that. So I I think sometimes I talk to people who think that the the general rule, you know, the rule that women were always under a man's control was universal and think, well, there's no point in writing stories about, you know, independent women in history because they didn't exist. And that's just as wrong. Of course
1: they existed, but they needed, (laughs) they needed the facility to be independent, which takes us back to money. Yes, you know they need you can't you can't be independent if you've got nothing to live on. So you've got to earn your bread. So um, there's if you are, for example, a woman, you know, of a reasonably good family um, who hasn't been left any money, but also hasn't been educated to do a job, then you're really up a gum tree. Yeah, and
0: and I was going to say in that in that social stratum where women did not work. You know where you didn't really even have the social option of going out and working.
1: Yeah, where there was no job available, um, and then alternatively, you know, you had women who were from a slightly lower social strata, who could run their own businesses very successfully, yes. who would own their own shop, who could, you know, be crafting, making things, selling things. Um, if you're able to teach, you know, that there were there were absolutely options. So one of the things in proper English is that my heroine has. Um, her, she's been the, basically taking care of the house first for her father and then for her older brother. And now her older brother is married, and she literally has no role anymore. She's been the woman who runs this house all this time, and now she's just completely supplanted. And that's just her tough luck. And she's got a, in a you know, small independent income that she's been left, but she now has no her, her entire life. That's it. You know, her life was serving now she's got to find an entire new place to start because her brother got married mm-hmm. and it's that kind of thing which is you know it's not a disaster for her but it's it's an unpleasant upheaval of her life um because she because there is no there's no role in a a, a patriarchal system really for her as a daughter she yeah. doesn't want to get married <laughs> So you've uh, touched a little
0: bit on this next question because you talk about your your love of um, this particular type of mystery setting. But uh, so I think most of your books have been sort of in the long 19th century, as it were, Regency, Victorian, Edwardian eras. Even when you include fantasy elements, it's pretty clear you're in love with those eras. So what's the attraction of history and of that particular span of history for you as an author?
1: Oh, well, I basically, I'm very fond of, I'm, I'm very fond of there not being mobile phones in my stories. So <laughs> I once wrote a story with a mobile phone. Absolutely ruins the whole thing. How can you plot around those blasted things? I hate them. So yeah, never going to be one of them. Um, I like I like the 1920s very much. I think the um, sort of interwar period's enormous. In I, mean, I, th- I think there's a whole interesting range and a lot of it is to do with the interaction of technology and the way society was developing and also the, the freedom of move, the increased movement that um, people had so that you're looking at much more potentially diverse casts and going to different places and people having different experiences, different life experiences and I think when, you, when you're writing um, much earlier, George, and the earliest I've done is, I think, 1805, and when you get much earlier than that, you know, it's very difficult for people to move around at all unless they're staggeringly rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just get these quite very tiny worlds, which I'm not so comfortable writing myself. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I just very much enjoy that entire span of history. And I read a lot in them and you get a lot of Pulp Fiction. I'm, my imagination is driven by Pulp Fiction. So,
0: <laughs> so uh, you've been, if I may say, wildly successful with your core product, um, if I can call it a product. Uh, what <laughs> is your, and your core product is male male fiction? Uh, what was your professional goal in branching out to an FF story? So, is it something that your existing readership was clamoring for, or are you trying to pick up a new set of
1: readers that way? Um, I wish that I thought in such professionally competent terms. <laughs> I really just wanted to write the story. Um, I felt, I will, there is definitely a. Um, An issue with FF, I mean, obviously, as we know, the sales just do not reflect what the sales of MM are, and that is, I think, something that can and will change. Um, But I felt reasonably sure that enough people, you know, uh, modesty aside, I have people who like to read my stuff, and I felt fairly confident that it would repay my uh, time investment, and it seems to be doing pretty nicely, so I'm fine with that. But it was mostly, it was not so much... It was really... I really wanted to write the characters. You know, they uh-huh. just itched and itched and itched at my head and there was such a. there was the story was right there for them. And that was actually the driving factor. But I would like to write more. I'm, I'm writing an MF at the moment. I just feel like I'm settling into writing female voices in the way I haven't done before and I'm going to be doing a variety of it.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, there's been something of... Uh, I'm not sure it's, it's up to the level of the trend yet, but in the last half year or so, there has been an assortment of romance authors, fairly well-known romance authors in some cases, who who typically write either uh, MF couples or MM couples who have tried their hand at, at FF. Um, I mean, there's your book, there's Courtly Milan with Mrs. Martin's Incomparable Adventure, uh, Lily Maxton with A Lady's Desire, which is a Regency. Yeah. Uh, and Cat Sebastian has an upcoming FF, A Little Light Mischief.
1: So and is uh, this... Olivia, Waite, Olivia Waite's got a trilogy coming with Avon. That's what I'm excited about, uh-huh. because I think the three that you've just named are all novellas, and uh-huh. there's been a bit... I think... I don't know if you recall, but there was a period where publishers were sort of doing MF series and then allowing authors to do an MM novella to sort of attach to the MF mm-hmm. series like dipping their toe into the market as it were and i think we've seen a bit of that with publishers uh and ff um so i'm really excited that avon has committed to a proper three book (laughs) novel deal for Olivia Waite with The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't mention content. that because I wasn't thinking of her in the category of having originally be, been known oh, I see. for... Oh, yeah,
1: no, fair enough. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> excited about that. As a <laughs> yes, no, you, well, you're right. I think maybe it's just a thing whose time has come. I don't know. Maybe I can't speak for anyone else, but, um, you yeah, know, Alyssa Cole wrote and um, has added an yes. F to her uh, reluctant Royal series. So hopefully it's just that people, maybe people are seeing more, yeah, maybe there is more market opportunity. I don't know. I
0: I would love if there became, you know, more widespread market opportunities for FF Historicals. I would be a little worried if that opportunity was only available to people who'd already established a career with other types of couples.
1: That's, That's the thing, isn't it? You don't want people, you know, crowding out... What I'm rather hoping will happen, obviously, is that authors of MM or MF will bring their readers in. That you know, people will say, "Well, I'll read this because it's Courtney Milan," and then say, "Oh, wow, I really like that. Maybe I'll read another one by somebody else," and actually just learn not to be scared of uh, reading <laughs> something outside their original comfort zone. And I, I think that could, you know, I, I think that could happen. We've seen that readers do push their um, boundaries once they, you know. Suzanne Brotman, for example, really brought a lot of readers to M.M. Um, I think, so hopefully it will have that effect rather than uh, punishing the authors of FF, which would be obviously the worst effect. But yeah. I don't think, you know, romance readers are so voracious. I don't really think there's um, that much scope for, there's not, a, there's not a, there can be only one thing. You know, romance readers want as many books as possible. That's their pretty much <laughs> defining characteristic
0: but there is this interesting phenomenon and I, I had a, a long two-part podcast with Anna Clutterbuck Cook about this who had a lot of fascinating opinions and observations mm-hmm. that you get these, these siloed communities and especially around queer fiction where people are know about and read within a particular community of authors and readers and don't even know that the others exist. So you've got like all these different smaller communities that are saying, I want more FF fiction, but it doesn't exist. And what they mean by doesn't exist either is the people that I am reading don't write it or the people who are writing it aren't hitting my sweet spot in some way that 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 there's I mean, because let's be honest, there's this enormous small press and self-published industry of FF romance. And when people who read you know say in your reading community either don't know about it or they say, "Oh, but those aren't those books aren't doing the thing I'm looking for and and it creates this fascinating dynamic of scarcity where everybody says, "I want this thing, and it's so scarce and nobody's writing it. Why is nobody writing it and everybody out there in all the other communities is saying, "Hey, hey, what am I chopped liver?"
1: <laughs> is that because i've been looking a lot for ff historical romance and one of the things i really come across is the completely different pricing issue so you know you get publishers who are yes are doing plenty of it but you're looking at a 9.99 price tag on an e-book very mm-hmm. often i'm not taking a punt on a 9.99 e-book the way <laughs> i am on a 2.99 e-book i read far too much i go bankrupt yeah um and i think i, I do think that's a significant like yeah, I could. All right, this is an awful thing to admit, I've never read a Justine Saracen book yet mm-hmm. because they're really highly priced, and I keep thinking. So I've got you know, I've got the sort of sale alert thing on, but you know, it's, it's, it's so expensive. Yeah, and um, and
0: I, I mean, I know only sort of superficially about the the market dynamics of that, but part of that is that it. Those are you know, both Bold Strokes books and my my publisher Bella Books. They're doing a you know, both e-book and physical book marketing strategy and the just the dynamics of publishing books and distributing books in hard copy and having a professional organization to do that. You know, so employees and warehouses, you know,
1: I I used to work in publishing. So, yeah, uh, yeah.
0: And and uh, I find that, you know, the books are the pricing is aligned with mainstream publishing. So if you're used to buying, you know, books from from uh, the mainstream publisher, the pricing isn't that different. What's different
1: is the the assumed contract with the reader about what you're getting. Well, I don't know if it, you know because, but like, I find the the prices in those publishers quite high, even for mainstream, because a lot of publishers are now moving to thing where they actually do price the ebook a lot lower in the hope of selling a lot more copies. Um, so. I would I would say it's it's still a bit high but also it's you know yeah so I'm, I'm basically might be priced for the historical fiction market but I'm not looking for that if I'm looking for a romance novel I know what romance pricing looks like and it doesn't look like that and that just puts me off taking a punt and you know I've got reasonable disposable income I'm not broke but I'm still you know there's a point where something is just too expensive, yeah. You know, if it's way out of the market price, it certainly won't be at the top of my massively long list of things <laughs> I want to spend money on. Um, if I could think, I can get. Well, I could actually get three contemporary FF novels, or I could get, you know, this all, 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 all the many millions of other things I want to read. So I do, I do honestly think it's a problem. Yeah. So you know, and. And there are other silos, as you say, where that's not the issue. Um, and one of the things, the phenomena that I've found really quite interesting as I've been sort of scrabbling around the reading more FF is how much of it is very heavily fanfic influenced. So you sort of see that in style, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, no, uh, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah, and then you get that, and that's obviously a huge thing, and people are obviously writing loads of it, and I have to say it's not a style that I find particularly enjoyable but it's a style that obviously really works for a lot of people yeah but that's, yeah, that's a, 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 um, an entire group of people just doing their own thing so yes it, it is interesting but you know with luck, if the big publishers are doing it and people are self-publishing who've got a certain amount of crossover appeal um, I, I, I hope that that it will manage to break down a few of the, wall, the walls between silos or at least Little tunnels between sides, (laughs) a bigger tunnel. (laughs) I like that image, yeah.
0: So do you have any current projects that you think our listeners might get excited about that you can talk about?
1: Oh, the one that I think your listeners would be most aligned to is also one that I'm havering on. Um, It's the sequel to my book, Spectred Spectred Isle, which was... um, Uh, one I wrote set in 1920s and it's paranormal and it's post-war and everything has gone terribly wrong because of occult attacks and that's going to be an FF um, between a woman who is uh, sort of the avatar of a London deity and a woman who is dead (laughs) so bit of a snag the relationship's fine the relationship's great I'm really looking forward to writing that but the overarching plot has been giving me a lot of problems because um, trying to write sort of a world going terribly wrong at the moment is a bit I uh, too close time. to it's home it is a bit so i've been struggling with that but i hope that will be my next ff project um it's going to be called Lost couple in hell and i've been seeing uh,
0: you mention it for quite a while now so it's been on I my know. radar well
1: i, I i've really I, I feel like i've made a breakthrough on the concept so i'm finishing at the moment my sequel to any old diamonds which is going to be um, an mf story with quite a feisty female uh lead and then hopefully i'm going to last couple in hell and uh we will just see okay
0: so if people wanted to follow you on social media where should they look
1: uh on twitter which is where i waste most of i mean spend most of my time (laughs) (laughs) and uh also i've got a group called kj charles chat on facebook which is an extremely nice and very very hungry for ff historical romance incidentally it's a place where people absolutely um leap on any that i can recommend so uh if anyone's got anything to talk about in the way ff historicals are welcome to come in and chat Uh
0: well that's uh wonderful i will have links to all of those and to the books we've discussed in the show notes thank you so much for joining us on the lesbian historic motif podcast kj thank you very much for having me